Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo, Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, I didn't see you there. Hi, Super Nintendos. Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat, episode 620. I am your host, Seth Macy. Joining us this week in the pear chair, Mitchell Salzman. Ooh, the pear chair. Yeah. I feel so honored. <laughs> Industry legend, Cat Bailey. Hello from the cat chair. The cat chair. And from the Tom stool, Tom Marks. 
No, I, I want to imagine that I'm sitting in that like the the froggy chair from Animal Crossing. That is w- that is the official <laughs> what the fourth chair is the rotating the froggy, froggy chair. chair. Yeah, so yeah. actually you are correct with there that. We go. So nailed it from the froggy chair. It's more of a dais actually. It's a it's a high. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Marks, thank you for joining us. Uh, wow, nothing happened this week. Oh, except yesterday and the day before. But let's talk. First of all, uh, we have Mitchell on the show specifically for this subject and his expertise in not only the gameplay, but the lore of Bayonetta 3. Yeah, we have an official release date coming out October 28th, 2022. That is uh, 17 days after my birthday. So I'll be getting myself a late birthday present. Just kidding. I'm an adult. I can buy things whenever I want to. Uh, It's going to have a naive angel mode which um, is a toggle. So if you don't want to see like boobies boobies and pornography, you can just turn it off. If you don't, you know, if you're playing your switch on a bus or uh, at a, uh, I don't know, a choir event of some sort at church, if you're playing Bayonetta at church, you can play it with a naive angel mode. And that's where she keeps her clothes on while she- Bayonetta three at church is actually thematically appropriate. I'll have to say. That is true. I don't know if I, the rest of the congregation would be too thrilled about it, but yes, Mitch, Mitchell, you're going uh, to say. I was going to say I actually saw like a what I thought was a, a good justification for for it also in the in the comments of one of the videos. But um, you know, it's it's something that streamers can also use because <gasps> when they play oh, yeah. there, they get content flagged all that the time is true. for for nudity and, and sexual situations. So, you know, it, it could be a good thing for, for, for YouTubers or, or streamers to, you know, just, just turn on so that they don't have to deal with that stuff. Yeah, I hadn't actually considered that. That is a very good point. And, you know, this is definitely a streamable game. Um, Bayonetta 2 is one of my favorite Switch and one of my favorite Wii U games as well. And I own both copies. Um, Mitchell, we were talking a little bit uh, in the Nintendo Voice Chat secret Slack channel that's not actually that secret. And Tom and I were both a little confused by the story. Uh, that is to say, <laughs> even though I've played Bayonetta 2, I don't actually know what's going on. And then you swept in. Could you give us a little bit of an update as to what is actually going on in Bayonetta for maybe those who have just a little bit of, of knowledge that Bayonetta so even exists? It's hard to like, you know, really put anything concrete together because this is it's a trailer that's so, you know, it, it's just a bunch of scenes that are kind of out of context. Um, I think the the main thought uh, of people is that the banner that we're seeing that we get to control is potentially going to be the grown-up version of Cereza from from Bayonetta 1. Cereza and Bayonetta are obviously the same same person. But in Bayonetta 1, you basically run into a, a, a kid version of Cereza who was plucked from the past. And, uh, you know, you, you basically go through that whole game with her as Bayonetta. And then she gets, at the end of the game, she gets put back into her actual timeline. And I think the thought is that in Bayonetta 3, we're, we're going to be playing as the grown-up version of Cereza from Bayonetta 1. I think the the big clue is her her hairstyle, which is very similar to to how Cereza had her hair in the the first game. Can I just so s- stop you right there? I want to give credit where credit is due. Casey DeFridis came on the show months ago when there was a trailer and explained why she thought Bayonetta's makeup and hair looked different, and she said exactly what you are saying now. But this was like <laughs> months ago, and it was based just on 
like the way that Bayonetta's makeup look and everyone was like, oh, what's wrong with the artist? And she's like, no, it's a, how a child would put makeup on. And like, yeah. So credit where credit is due. Casey like <laughs> knew just from the makeup, which is astonishing to me. But I'm sorry, Mitchell, please uh, go on. Yeah, and then uh, you know the the enemies that were fight that were fighting um, are they're homunculus, so that they're unique in that the the first two games all the enemies were basically from Paradiso or Inferno, which is just another word way of saying heaven or heck. Hell. Heaven or heck? It's there a family go. show. <laughs> it's the naive, yeah, angel naive mode. angel tur- mode turned on for this for this yeah. show. <laughs> um. And uh, so, so that's interesting because, you know, usually all the threats in Bayonetta have been things that normal people can't see. Uh, so it's just like, you know, Bayonetta 2 famously starts with like this uh, airplane that's going out of control. Uh, and you're like, what, what's going on? But Bayonetta is able to see that there are actually monsters on the plane that are, you know, steering it and driving it into the ground. So, you know, you might be able to see some more, you know, actual world world reaction to what's going on. Uh, so yeah, I, I I'm so excited for 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 this game. You know, I didn't even need this trailer. I just needed the release date. Um, I cannot wait. As soon as I saw this trailer, I told myself I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and play Bayonetta two, and I did. I played like three hours of Bayonetta two before going to bed yesterday. Nice. And, you know, turns out that game still rocks. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, a fantastic game. I'm curious as to uh, what role Viola is that the new character's name? Mm-hmm. Um, powerful, like early 2000s energy just coming out of the Viola character design. So I'm curious, what is her connection with all of this? Or is that not completely unknown? Yeah, I mean, another one of the things that I think people are, are you know, toying with the idea of in this is that there's like some sort of multiverse thing going on. So I think there's oh my god out- another multiverse for the love right God <laughs> uh, I think there's theories out there saying that Viola could be like Jean from another from another universe because we see Bayonetta from you know another universe and they they even say something like uh, Universe Alpha like they're trying to get back to Universe Alpha or something uh, I think they so, say the Alpha Verse, which is actually the exactly. same the same name they use in everything. Oh yeah, at once. Oh, multiverse movie that just came out this year. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they got a leaked a leaked version of that script. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure been, it's uh, you know sure it's totally related. It. That's Bayonetta the crossover. Bandit Three is crazy enough to totally be canon in the Everything Everywhere All at Once universe. <laughs> <That is laughs> so true. <laughs> But yeah, I think I think Viola looks awesome, and you know people are obviously making the the connection of how much she kind of looks like Virgil from Devil May Cry. Mm. So it's kind of like you know Bayonetta's version of of Virgil, which mm. you know, mm. hey, every every action game could use a version of Virgil. So I'm not complaining. Sure. <laughs> um, also, like one of the the abilities that we see Viola use is like this this big puppet. That's kind of like the the Cheshire doll from from Bayonetta one. So I think that also kind of you know lends connection to that you know that universe with with Cereza. Um, All right. Yeah, there, there there it is right there. If you're watching the the video, she's got a cool little swinging thing. Uh, which hey, Luca uses that, and so does Jean. <laughs> so there, there's all kinds of like plot points that I think people can can kind of like craft theories out of, but. Yes, I don't. I don't know if there's there's anything really concrete that we can go off right now. Yeah, and I just want to point out from personal experience: if you have not played Bayonetta, you don't need to understand the story at all. 
Uh, mm-hmm. It's just a super fun game with a really weird. You want to kill giant angels? You can kill giant angels in Bayonetta. Yeah. You, yeah, it's it's amazing and it's so much fun. Cat, I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts about Bayonetta three in the new trailer. Well, it's been under development for what four or five years at 100 this point. Hundred years, actually. Yep. Yeah, we've been all been waiting. Originally for this a Hanafuda card. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed the original Bayonetta um, a lot. It's one of the smoothest and most technically proficient action games out there. Um, I was not extremely invested in the story. All I cared about were the vibes, and uh, it looks like Bayonetta <laughs> Powerful 3. vibes. Uh, so many vibes. I mean, when it's playing Fly Me to the Moon um, very oh, early man. in the original game, so good. And then Bayonetta 2 just ramps it up uh, even higher. <laughs> I, I unlocked the Star Fox thing. I love the random Star Fox crossover in Bayonetta 2. Oh, my God, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah and so the good. Princess Peach stuff, too. Uh, yeah, they had a whole like bunch of crossover outfits for for that game that were really really cool. I want a Monster Hunter Rise uh, crossover, please, this holiday season. Let's make that happen because <laughs> she looks a lot like a longsword user. I'm just saying, and um, yeah, no. So I think Bayonetta three is it's always been kind of a niche action game, but highly highly respected within yeah. its individual context. Uh, Bayonetta 2 came out on the Wii U, of course, and now they're both available on the Switch. You should go buy them because they're some of the best games out there. I'm actually pretty hopeful that Bayonetta 3, given a big push from uh, from Nintendo and being on a platform with a much bigger install base, will help Bayonetta 3 maybe get a bit more of the notoriety that it deserves. Mm, Yeah, and it's also important to uh, point out, well, it's not important, I think it's interesting that they're releasing a physical version of Bayonetta 1 for $29.99 on Nintendo Switch cartridge, which best believe I'm going to add to my collection and never play because it just seems like one of those weird collectible games. But um, Tom, do you think that this is going to be Nintendo's big fall non-Pokemon game? Or do you think there's something else in store for us? Oh, I don't know. Um, It's like, this is the thing about... Predicting game releases in 2022 feels like a fool's errand now. Like <laughs> it, it just is like you're setting yourself up to be wrong. And I, I don't know if I want to <laughs> want to put myself in that position. Like it's just so unpredictable. I'm really glad that this game sort of just got a date out of nowhere, right? Because it was one that people have been waiting for for so long, and it's one that people have been really excited for, and so. The fact that they just like kind of planted this flag that we weren't expecting is is just really good, right? Like I think it's just really cool to have a little bit of stability in there because Nintendo, to their credit, sometimes they they often take a very long time to announce dates or they wait very late to announce things, but then usually when those dates come down, they stick, right? Which is respectable. And I don't it's cool to know that like we can probably almost certainly rely on this happening and being a nice event in october yeah i mean there's no other games releasing on october 28th of mention at all so (laughs) it's worth pointing out that since the release of bayonetta 2 uh bayonetta has been in smash brothers and that is true oh and right best amiibo of all are the uh bayonetta player (laughs) one and two yeah those are incredible amiibo too they're amazing but i'm sorry She's also one of the most hated characters in Smash Brothers for oh, a yeah. while. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> yeah. well, yeah. she was super broken in Wii U. Yeah. 
and oh, then yeah. in Smash, uh, the the most recent Smash Ultimate, she was actually kind of worthless. So it's yeah. period of extremes for Bayonetta going on. Oh, just too just... bad because I really love Bayonetta as a character. You know, yeah. I, I love the design and everything. The glasses, those late two thousands glasses, so pretty. <laughs> um, and I w- would have loved to have mained her in Smash Brothers, mm. but her. Her actual play style in Smash, Very while awkward. it just feels weird, and while I guess faithful to the, the design, it, it just it doesn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. So never really meld, uh, never really gelled in Smash, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, me neither. I, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat where like you know, in a, one of my favorite action game series of all time, but playing her in Smash was just it. She's she's so different from every other character in that game. And like her, the way she comes back, the way she combos, the way she, you know, starts, starts her offense is just so different from everything else that it was hard for me to, to really get into without devoting just a ton of time to it. Um, so I, I kind of didn't really bother with it, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but yeah. I, Witch time I, stuff uh, just feels weird and smash. It works perfectly in Bayonetta. But, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I really appreciate her inclusion in, in smash brothers. I, I, I think. Of the the announcements of like the the DLC announcements, she was one, probably the one that I got most excited for because it was so unexpected. It, it, there was there was rumors that it would happen, but I, I think very few people actually thought that that Nintendo would have like a character that's from such a violent and such like a a sex heavy you know action game would would actually be part of a a game with like Isabel from from Animal <laughs> Crossing or or like the villager from Animal Crossing. Um, but yeah, she God, she's such a, a cool character. I, everything yeah. you said, Kat, is like you know, hundred percent agree from me. This year, I decided I actually wanted to like follow hockey a little bit more than just the most casual of casuals. So I subscribed to a service that streams all of the NHL to your television. Uh, the Boston Bruins home opener. I went to watch it, and boom, blackout restrictions apply, which I thought was kind of ridiculous because I'm still 200 miles away from Boston, but whatever. Had I had NordVPN, that wouldn't have been a problem. I would have just gone in, changed my settings to another geographic area, and boom, I could have been watching all the Boston Bruins home games like it was nothing at all. So now I have NordVPN, and I can watch the home games of my local teams streaming without being frustrated. It's the same thing with, like, Netflix. It has all these complicated licensing rules, which from one country to another don't really make sense. So something you could watch on South Korean Netflix, you won't be able to watch on the United States Netflix unless NordVPN, boom, switch to South Korea, and you're watching whatever Korean drama that you want I highly recommend you do that. I haven't done it myself, but people seem to enjoy them. And who am I to try to bring down people's enjoyment? Uh, NordVPN, more than just entertainment and sports availability, it's going to protect you, especially when you're traveling, when you're using public Wi-Fi. People are trying to get in there. They're creeping on you. Bad actors, people trying to steal your password, your bank account details. Who knows what the government's doing these days? I can't keep track. They're all over the damn place. NordVPN... It's going to protect you. It's going to protect up to six devices because I know you have at least that many devices 
in front of you right now that can hook up to the internet. Boom. Fastest VPN in the world. You're not going to get any buffering. You're not going to get any lagging. Uh, it's going to stop your ISP from bandwidth throttling, which they do. That's kind of sneaky, especially how much you're paying those guys. There's threat protection to protect you from viruses and malicious malware and whatever else. Uh, um, unsavory actors are out there. If you want to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash Nintendo VC. That's nordvpn.com slash Nintendo VC. Victor Charlie. Uh, that link is also going to give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There is no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nice of them, and I appreciate that. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Bayonetta is the only character in all of gaming that has gun shoes. Really? I think you might be right. Think I'm... What about Downwell? Doesn't Downwell have yeah. gun oh, shoes? Oh, you're right. Downwell. I was going to say, there's literally a game made around the concept of gun shoes. <laughs> Damn. All right. There's two gun shoes. Gun shoes characters. Fine. Still. I mean, Iron Man technically has gun shoes, kind of. Like, he, you know, he can shoot, shoot little beams of fire out of it. That is true, but none of them are a match for Kurabu's shoes that allow you to walk over piranha plants and spikes without getting hurt. So there it is. <laughs> Bayonetta 3 is coming out October 28th. You should play Bayonetta 2 on Nintendo Switch if you haven't, or play it on your Wii U if that's all you have. I was just realizing I have actually not played Bayonetta 2 on my OLED, so I'm really excited Ooh. to get the the just purple. And the and original Bayonetta still holds up. Oh my gosh. It is you know so what? I actually have never... I never bothered to play it even though i have it because obviously it's packed in as a download code with uh bayonetta 2 if you buy it on switch i had never played it so maybe i should do that oh and then there's an 8-bit one uh that was on steam for a minute i don't remember what that was for but there's an 8-bit bayonetta out there too i don't remember that one either oh yeah you go check it out it's not that great it's pretty forgettable that's probably why you don't <laughs> you don't know about it but uh in terms of surprises and, and powerful characters we also got a little glimpse into the continuation of the year of Kirby, which is unofficial, but it kind of is officially the year of Kirby. None can stop him. None can stand in his way. Battle not with monsters, lest ye become a monster. It is Kirby's dream buffet, which everyone is saying is Kirby fall guys. And then Tom is saying, you are way off Tom. Why is this, Why is everyone wrong? It's not, <laughs> we were talking about this before we started recording. It's not Kirby Fall Guys, and it drives me crazy that people are using that shorthand. Like, seriously, it drives me crazy. Because it's like, according to the... the let me start with what it is. Okay, it's good it's SEO, a, Tom. Come on. It's great yes. SEO. Yeah. It's a four-player party game that is coming. It's going to be part of the Nintendo Expansion Pass. Is that correct? Or I don't am think I that was officially that? confirmed. That, they haven't confirmed okay. money. Okay. 
maybe right. okay yeah then, or then, then that was just this coming summer and but it yeah, should no. come on it, it feels yeah. like the type of game that would but also on the official site it doesn't have listed online play yet so who oh, knows okay. like why would it be part of the nintendo online if it doesn't have online play it makes but me think is, of um the mario battle royale game makes me think of yeah the little sure. multiplayer see, games that have come out for it right it's a you roll around as a bunch of kirby's and four player around these very sweets covered levels and pick up strawberries and foods and try to get really big so that then you do this like final battle at the end where the size of your Kirby helps you win, basically, is my interpretation of it. The only reason I get mad about the Fall Guys comparison is because like one of the key things about Fall Guys is that you like start with a ton of people and you yeah. go through these rounds and it gets whittled down into a single winner or whatever. And this is like this seems like a very, very different sort of game. It is just sort of like a mini game compilation with a very different sort of thing. So I, I think the Fall Guys comparisons are misleading in all but it is a kind of progressive competition between multiplayer competition and, and I, pastel color. Yeah, it'll actually run well on the Switch for one thing. Oh, <laughs> is that But it does look cute. Um, yes, I hope oh it God. has. I hope it has online play. I hope I'm that that the Switch site is just like not listing it right now because it would be a bummer to have this four-player focused game require local play. Would be a drag. Um, yeah. and, and it looks cute. I want to play it with four people, right? Yeah. Yeah, obviously. I volunteer to be one of the four that Tom <laughs> plays it with. <laughs> we live in different cities. This is what I'm talking about. Ooh, see, that's, well, that's why Switch is portable. Grab a bus and just head on down. However Nintendo 2022, four players at once online. No one can live at that speed. Oh my God. <laughs> It's too dangerous. People could be hurt by it. Also, I wanted to point out that the plural of Kirby is Kirby. There are up oh. to four Kirby on the screen. And I maybe just made that up, but I think it's official now. So was saying <laughs> No, no, that... no. I've heard that too. Okay. Perfect. Hera <laughs> was saying that I... a, a new Kirby game is always a harbinger of a new console generation or the end of a console generation. So what does it mean that we're getting two in one year? Seriously. Ooh, <laughs> man. Oh, well, Switch. This, this is something this is something that we've talked about on the show before i'm sure that like kirby has it doesn't get a lot of mainline games anymore but it does just sort of like put out spin-offs all the time it feels like <laughs> that like it had that that weird kind of monster hunter almost 2d battle game it had another like fighting game that was on mobile or whatever like it it just sort of does this occasionally, and it's like a little Kirby treat here and there. Yeah, I mean, Kirby it's a, is it's the not... experimental series. Just feel like, oh, dude, just throw Kirby in there. It's good. Yeah, yeah it's it's apropos of of Kirby it takes on different forms. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's nice. Oh, yeah. what else would you expect from an elder god? That is true. <laughs> and now we have four of them at once, which I I oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, I was gonna make a joke, and I. Didn't know I where to go with it. And Sorry. I was like, oh, thank God Tom and Tom is going to say something now that I don't have to go through with a joke I don't have. Well, the other thing that I do like about this game thematically as like a Kirby fan is one of the things that people really love about like old school Kirby is gourmet race, right? That that mm -hmm. level where you're racing DDD, picking up lots of foods and trying to that'll get you like higher score or whatever. And this is basically multiplayer gourmet race in a weird way, right? Like it's 3D and instead of 2d but it is a little bit of that sort of 
you're literally racing your other people trying to pick up as much food as you can along the way. So I like that this doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel like completely out of place for what Kirby does, right? Or has done. And like, if you just pitched this to me as multiplayer gourmet race, I would be totally on board. I think hey, maybe, maybe if this does well, maybe it's the, the beginning of a actual Kirby Fall Guys. Oh, I think would be pretty sick. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what'll happen is it'll do really well, and then they'll be like, uh, "Play it before December thirty first because it'll be gone forever, and then you will never hear about it again." See, Seth, you just got me because I'm still mourning the death of that Mario Battle Royale game. It was such Mario, a good speed running game. It was oh, so God. fun. What are you doing, yeah. Nintendo? Yeah, and there's <laughs> no way we can ever play that again. And I, it's such a bummer. I mean, I'm I'm more of a fan of Tetris ninety nine, but. Oh, I wow, think they're both great. Yeah. It was Tetris 99, right? Yeah, Tetris 99. And that, that is the number. <laughs> <laughs> right. That game yeah, is was so intense now. If you try and play it, oh my God. Yeah, I haven't tried. Give me Pokemon Puzzle League 99. Ooh. That's all I want. <laughs> well, it's available now on Nintendo Switch Online. I mean, if is you want to play tomorrow? the old 64 version. Yep. Uh, yeah. Is it, is it actually available now or is it available? Yeah, it just came it's out available. today. Oh, oh man, okay, I know what I'm doing. I was like, I gotta download <laughs> this. Holy this shit! Podcast ends. <laughs> All right. I also I wanted to point out that uh, kudos to Nintendo for hiring, and this is just like Nintendo wide. I don't think any other video game company in the world makes video game food as appealing as the artists who work at Nintendo across all of their properties. Um, the the fruit Wrong. textures. The Odin Sphere developers do food the best. Final Fantasy 15 also does a really good job of that. Yeah. Okay, those are cooked, served, delicious too. Those are. Listen, I'm talking about <laughs> publisher wide. Nobody does it better than Nintendo. Uh, you look at uh, um, the. You know what the Yakuza series also does. Yeah, does that's it true. Really... <laughs> Do we have a feature about best hello video game Monster food Hunter? Okay, Monster Hunter also. <laughs> yeah, Monster Hunter is a good contender also. But I, I, I think I appreciate what you're saying, Seth, in, in regards to sweets specifically. Yeah. Nintendo yeah. loves cake and like man, Nintendo can make a strawberry look so oh. good. Yeah. Mouth is oh man, Peach's birthday cake in Mario in Super Mario Party. Or not Super Mario Super Mario Party, Mario Party Superstars. Yeah. Yeah. Go so play uh pick up your three DS and play Tama Tamadachi Life again and order some food in that. And that is a absolutely delightful food <laughs> rendering Here, Seth, nintendo has baked a cake for you <gasps> please come to the castle oh my adventure is about to begin i'm so excited i don't know what's in store for me i just know a that cake, I'm gonna have you to... say how innocent and wonderful i can't wait to battle through lava pits to kill a giant dragon lizard man um, you'll get that cake eventually ends. You know what? That is true. Nintendo always delivers on its promise of cake. So thank you for that, Nintendo. And thanks for making them look so delicious. If you haven't watched the Kirby trailer, absolutely fantastic whipped cream textures. Um, looks so good. Oh, uh, man. Anyway, enough talking about cake uh, I, that I can't eat anyway. So we have listened to your um, concerns, you the, you the listener. And uh, at the end of last week's show, Pear had this idea. He said to me, he said, Seth, why don't you just put question block earlier in the show? And I thought, man, that's a good idea. That must be why he's been working at the same company for 26 years. So we have done that. We have front loaded question block this week. So we have more than one question block. We have time to answer them, to give them some thought. So I'm going to go through them 
Uh, starting with Azure Sky asked, have you ever hated a game at first, but loved it on a second try? And I was thinking about this, and I don't have an answer to a game that I hated, but when I first played Red Dead Redemption 2, I thought, this is not a good game. And then I played another hour or two, and I was like on Google looking up where to learn to ride a horse uh and how to rope cattle and uh that ended up being one of my favorite games of all time like top three and i didn't like it at all at first so i'm curious as to uh the the panel's uh responses to that question mitchell are there any games that you hated at first but then loved once you gave it a second try both hate and love are such strong words okay yeah. um i i can't i can't think of any that like fit that exact definition uh, a recent example um that i can probably say is uh you know sock unleashed um sock oh, okay. unleashed is a, a game that you know i kind of i kind of fell into the the zeitgeist of and just kind of like you know everyone was talking about how bad sock unleashed was at when it first came out um and i i played it really liked the the first sonic level that you played to and then you get through like you, know, you kind of slow down through like hub exploration and then you get the uh the the werehog bit and you know it, sonic unleashed is a very uneven experience i think with like the lens that i was looking at it with that were kind of painted by the the critical reaction i kind of maybe rode off too soon but recently we were doing a top 10 sonic game list and i went back to it and man the, the sonic levels in this game are so so fast and so, like the flow of them is is so good um I would honestly say it's some of the best 3D Sonic levels I've ever played. Oh, wow. Um, then, and then, like, I, I went to the, the Werehog sections with kind of, like, you know, a more open view of it. And this, the Werehog bits are definitely worthy of critique and criticism. But they're not as bad, I think, as, as a lot of people probably make them out to be. Um, it's just, you know, a simple, you know, beat em up with some, some pretty decent power progression if you, if you invest in the right skills. Um, so yeah, so I would say Sonic Unleashed, while I didn't hate it and while I still don't love it, um, that's definitely an example of a game that I kind of wrote off when I first played it and came back to it and found myself, you know, liking it a good amount. I think that's a perfectly cromulent answer. Sonic Cat Unleashed, the dawn of the Sonic cycle. I remember, <laughs> yeah. I remember the run up to Sonic Unleashed very well because I was... Mm -hmm. That was when I first got into press and I interviewed the developers and was like, what's up with the werehog? Holy cow. <laughs> and so from then on, the Sonic cycle. Well, I'm curious as to hear what uh, your answer is. And it, uh, yeah, I agree, Mitchell, like hate and love is a little bit strong, but something that maybe you weren't feeling, you weren't vibing with, but eventually went on to just like feel great. Sometimes it just needs a little bit of distance to be able to properly appreciate a thing. And we've had many more Sonic games some some for the worse so i think it's easier to look at it with a fresher lens it was very popular to hate on sonic in 2009 2010 so i think sonic unleashed caught at least some of that um as for me I, the game that i didn't like at first but then grew to love was the original metal gear solid on playstation which, oh interesting uh, a friend of mine loaned it to me when i first got a playstation and i loaded it up and i was in the first section and i was laying on my belly and i was like what do, what what do I do? I, I don't understand this game. So I just laid on my belly for a while and then I quit and I turned it off and I gave the game back. And I was like, well, that was weird. Um, but 
everybody was so high in Metal Gear Solid. And we're like, no, you got to play it. That I picked it up again at some point. I may have even purchased it. And I started playing it. I got past the first room. I was going up the elevator, had the Metal Gear Solid title appear. Uh, got into that first section section or first open section where Solid Snake is like, I D. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm in. I'm in on this game. And it D. It's one of the first really good AAA experience, kind of modern AAA experiences that I ever played. I was just absolutely floored by the the cinematics and uh, the level design and the stealth gameplay and how excellent the boss uh, battles were. Oh, uh, played it again many so times good. since. I was going to ask, have you played it recently? Not. Uh, I think the last time I played it was when it came out on PlayStation Network, so okay. some years ago. Um, my impression at the time was that it still held up, but granted, yes. that was also 10 years ago. Um, it's a lot simpler than a modern Metal Gear Solid experience, obviously, and it's more kind of a top-down kind of situation, but I find that charming, actually. Yeah. Uh, I find it still works, and the, the stylized kind of PlayStation graphics are still really cool. I still think it's the best original PlayStation game ever made. But yeah, I will never forget that when I first started playing the original Metal Gear Solid, that I was like, well, I don't understand this game at all. I'm just I don't like it. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy because I normally wouldn't have liked a game like that, but I had the opposite. As soon as I started playing, I was like, well, this is the most amazing game ever made. And I have replayed it recently and it, and it still holds up. It's still very charming and everyone should play it and they should port it to switch along with the rest of them. Cause it's the 35th Everything anniversary. on switch. Let's go. Everything on switch. Come on, let's do it. Come on. Could, uh, but especially Konami. Metal Gear Solid, but especially Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, man, that would be so good. Well, Tom, do you have any games that you were, weren't feeling that eventually went I mean, on to? Yeah, I, wow I agree you. with the, I agree with the non, the, the word hate is too harsh. Like I've bounced off of plenty of games that I've come back to and enjoyed, right? Um, maybe a good thing like this is as a series, uh, Monster Hunter, I've tried to get into pre-world and mm. always bounced off it. And then world was the thing that sort of like clicked and then I was obsessed with it um another one that i think probably is is like in a similar camp although again it was like i was more just like cold on it and then like set it aside and came back and then got really obsessed was warframe um oh that's a warframe, that's a pretty grindy one isn't it yeah well the, the it's a very grindy game but the grind is like kind of the point and the grind is enjoyable right like that is so much of that game i haven't played warframe i fell off of it a number of years ago um but i have like well over a hundred something hours in that game probably more wow. than that and like it yeah it, it is the type of game where once it like if you like the loop and it clicks there is just so much free content in that game that is so fun and it does not feel like you need to pay a single cent to enjoy any of it uh, at least when i you know I, I haven't played in a number of years but like when I was playing that, that was the case. And I know that digital extremes, the extremes, the developer has like just still been updating it and supporting it all that time. So I kind of like trust that they haven't gone off the rails in a way I wouldn't <laughs> expect. Um, but yeah, I Warframe is a very, it's a very, very hard game to get into, but once you just sort of like get over that hump and start enjoying it, it is really a cool time. 
Yeah, I'm curious as to what percentage of PS4 owners' uh, first game was Warframe because it was free and available on yeah. day one. So I would say probably like 98% of PlayStation quite, 4. It was quite bad when it first came out, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, if, no, you, I, if you've yeah. only played Warframe at PS4 launch, it is essentially like not like think of it not like war it's like warframe 3 at this point like the amount of times that they've just like reinvented it it's a totally oh, wow. different game interesting yes yeah. destiny is also very much like that um destiny you know while I, again i wouldn't say i hated destiny when it first came out but destiny like made me feel like i was wasting my time with it um mm. when it first came out just because of the way that the mechanics were structured um but over the course of you know the however many years destiny's been around they've iterated upon it so many times with like drastic iterations it's gotten to a point where i think destiny 2 is honestly one of the best shooters around right now um, really yeah mitch take i will <laughs> I, I mean i don't even think it's a hot take to say that like mechanically destiny 2 like feels better than almost any other shooter that, that i've ever played just in terms of the way the guns feel um the way like that the enemy ai react to to how you like you know approach them uh it's it's such a mechanically solid game yeah and well, that's that's a the, big part of what bungie's known for right is those yeah. gun mechanics yeah um and like just the way all the guns feel feel different from each other and how like the exotic weapons truly feel special um and like are honestly game changing in terms of how they affect your playstyle uh yeah destiny destiny already gets i think gets a lot of respect it gets a lot of hate but if if you ever like you know if you ever like pass judgment on just on destiny back when you know it first came out i think you should give it another shot yeah even, and... even though it's a very hard game to jump into now because most of the 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 starting story content is has been vaulted so like it's hard to get people on board with destiny from like a story perspective and it's a little overwhelming at first, but if you got like a good person to guide you through it, uh, highly recommend getting into Destiny 2. Yeah, and it's got one of the most powerful um, SEO terms. Uh, where is Zer? So, <laughs> <laughs> little SEO humor for you there. Um, all right, that is uh, our first, and now we have another question. It's a, we're on a roll here. A new record. Question two. This is sort of the same question from two different people, Zachary uh, McDaniel and Dylan Maxwell Graham. Uh, how do you balance work and play in terms of video games? I assume staying up to date and partaking in the moment to moment zeitgeist necessitates playing almost everything, but how does one do that and avoid gaming burnout and continue enjoying games as a hobby? And uh, Dylan's question was, does getting this podcast together or reviewing games ever feel like real work? I think this is a question that a lot of people have. Does playing video games professionally make you uh, dislike video games? And I'm or not dislike, but does it feel like work? And I'm curious as to uh, I'm going to ask Mitchell because you probably are playing a video game right now while you're also talking because that's just how good you are at video games. So I'm curious as if you could if you could speak to this question first. Uh, I feel very fortunate in that I've never I've never had that feeling of burnout in all the times that I've I've done this. I feel like if I did, then you know I would I would start looking elsewhere <laughs> for for work because uh, you know it, they 
there's a lot of really great things about about working in in games journalism. There there are also a lot of things that are you know not so great. You know there there are definitely opportunities that I think I've I've probably passed up to to you know have a life where I make a, a lot more money and have like a more comfortable living situation. Um, but you know I I I've always kept with this because I genuinely love playing video games and, and talking about video games and critiquing video games. Um, so I, I feel like I've, I've been fortunate in that I've just, I've never, I haven't gotten to that point. I still love E3. I still love, mm. you know, I still get the excitement of getting a, a code for, for a game that <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to, to review. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, key to that has, has definitely been, you know, having, having my wife to, to keep me sane, keep me, you know, into other things other than just playing video games. Um, I watch a lot of anime. You know, I watch a lot of TV shows. Well, hold on. Uh, That's actually another question. Don't tell oh. us. Which... Sorry. <laughs> we'll get it. We'll get ahead. it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know what I do to avoid it, but it hasn't really hit me in the, the years that I've done this. All right. Cool. Kat, what about you? I think that I've managed to stay up and interested in video games. I think the Switch has been kind of instrumental in that in some ways because it's been a high-end gaming experience that's also portable. And so one of the big things with games for me is that it takes away takes me away from my family and I want to go spend time with the rest of the people in my household. So I'll be like, but how can I do that if I'm just sitting there playing video games? So having the Switch with me and being able to play on the couch while we're all like watching a show or something, especially like an RPG, for example, that's how I ended up playing a lot of Animal Crossing, a lot of Bravely Default 2 and whatnot. Um, I was able to kind of enjoy the best of both worlds. Um, I still get really, really excited when I find a game that genuinely hooks into my brain. Uh, that thrill of it discovery is what keeps me going. I think... If, when you're in the games industry, one of the things you'll quickly discover is you have your blind spots. Like a lot of people are like, oh, I know this game intimately. Why doesn't this game journalist know this game intimately? Well, I think we all have our blind spots, but we also have our strengths. And one of the cool things about being in this business is that I've been able to discover so many games that I would never have picked up in a million years if I hadn't actually been in the... <laughs> The games media, like Battlefield, for example, I never would have picked up Battlefield. And I actually ended up really enjoying the series and, until it kind of got driven into the ground. <laughs> same, with the, <laughs> same with various sports games and whatnot. And uh, I think that kind of exp that, that opportunity to go outside my comfort zone as I'm trying all of these different games and being able to try out games that are being recommended to me is one of the things that I find most gratifying about this job. Very cool. Yeah, and, and what about to, you? Well, to that end, I will also say the part to for part of Zachary, I think it is question of keeping up, saying keeping up. They, they assume keeping up necessitates playing almost everything. No one can do that, and no one is expected. Especially to not do that. now with a fire hose of content. Yeah, yeah, and like you kind of you have to pick your battles, and you obviously we want to stay informed of everything. But to to Cat's point, one of the things that's it, that is great about working in a company like IGN is like, I know I don't have to play and be up to date on every fighting game because we have people like Mitchell and we have people like Ronnie who like, they love those things and they can cover them 
so much better than I ever could. So it's not worth me trying to like wade into that when I don't really enjoy that genre very much. Right. And so that I think helps is like knowing what you enjoy. Um, and then to, to Dylan's point about like, does it ever feel like work? Like, yes, yes. It's it just cause you enjoy it. Doesn't mean it's also not like actual work. I think something that people who look at games media and think like, oh, I'd love to review games, sometimes don't think about, and I'm not saying not everyone does this, I'm, I'm just sometimes some people don't think about, is that to enjoy, to make reviewing games your career, you have to not, like, just liking games isn't enough. You have to enjoy the work around the game playing too. Like, yeah. I really love writing right? Yeah. Like it, it is a passion of mine to write reviews and that is not as fun as playing the video game. It is, the, it is the work part, but I also enjoy that part. So I haven't actually like burned out on that yet. And so I, I think that is a big part of it is that like, for me at least, like I enjoy all of the aspects of this job, including the work parts, because <laughs> there are lots, like the vast majority of the job is not playing just sitting there playing games right yeah so yeah in terms of balancing things i think one of the things i've had to do is bounce off uh live service games because on the one sure. hand it's really beneficial to be able to say okay i'm super up on this particular service game like for example for me it was like fifa or whatever um but i ended up having to bounce off them because there comes a point where it's like okay i put like 500 to a thousand hours into this game and it's making it so I can't easily pick up other experiences that I'm missing out and I want to be able to talk intelligently about a wide variety of games. So for me, it's become as much about breadth uh, as anything because so many of these games now are about, are just giant treadmills where you're just grinding and grinding, and grinding and unlocking things. And there comes a point where I just can't, I can't do that anymore. So that's yeah. one of the things that I've ended up dropping in recent years is uh, these live service games. Yeah, I think that's also a reason why live service games are such like a, a hard thing to cover at a at a you know place like IGN. Um, you know, sometimes I think we we literally just hired a, a person on guides to to focus directly on on live service games, but it yeah. is because of the fact that you know they're constantly evolving. And you can't just have someone jump into it to to cover the the most recent update in it you have to have someone who has been you know building up their 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 skill set or their character or whatever to to be able to to properly cover that new content and uh yeah it's it's a challenge yeah yeah embedded in the community they know all the influencers they know what mm -hmm. the, the the discourse is around a particular game that's how you cover a live service game um effectively and yeah you're right like finding uh, people with expertise in say Fortnite or Genshin Impact or Minecraft, they're worth their weight in gold in this business. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wanted to give my own thoughts on the balance of work, play and play. As far as me, I am probably the worst at, uh, at work play. Like I play games for work if I'm reviewing them, but uh, I don't necessarily play a game that's maybe in the zeitgeist unless I really want to. Like when Call of Duty comes out, like, look, me and my friends, we play Call of Duty every year. It's just like what we do. And I'll play it, but not because I want to talk about it on podcast, but because I like it. And also the bonus is if I get invited onto Beyond or Unlocked or something, I can talk about Call of Duty or I might, or I might kill two birds with one stone and also review it. But um, 
yeah as far as like um reviewing games feeling like real work uh for me that has never been the case with the exception of final fantasy Christy crystal chronicles remake which i gave a 3.5 <laughs> because i hated it okay so much. you're telling me that the moment when you're up at three in the morning because you're on deadline and you got to capture more scenes so that you can go and get that script ready that that doesn't feel like work to you okay that feels a little worky yeah you, M mitchell, what was, like mitchell what was the you and me each we both played what like 35 hours of final fantasy 7 remake in three days two and a half oh hours. okay i have that been was, that was work i have been fortunate <laughs> enough like, that i've never I had a great time <laughs> i love that game <laughs> i mean the game was the game was great it was a lot of right. fun but also that was like okay i need a vacation now. yeah i'll say <laughs> i've i've been fortunate enough where i haven't had to turn like huge games around like that that yeah. quickly but i did you know octopath traveler i think we got that like a, the code like a week before deadline and now like you know dan and tom bless your hearts now you're not so hung up on like if if a game is huge and we get the code three days beforehand you're not like well we oh, need yeah. to put this it's like it's it's more important yeah, to, to, be, put to, out. Be, to be fully clear like that the, the something like the final fantasy thing is not like the encouraged and it's not the norm and it shouldn't be right, right? it's like all what of you want to do like nobody's yeah. stopping either one of you from playing a game so, that you're really yeah. enjoying Dan, Dan Stapleton, our reviews editor, will be like, look, if you can't make deadline, you can't make deadline. We're IGN.com. Like, we'll yeah. get the review up. Um, so there is an element of like, for God's sake, don't burn yourself out. But yeah, yeah. I think that I think there's also sometimes sure. you just want to make it work, you know? So Yeah. 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 It, I, there, there's a point of, there's a little bit of a point of pride in in doing something like that of like being able to turn something like that around but it is not like oh, yeah. anything that should be encouraged necessarily and it's thankfully this is a ta total tangent now but like it does feel like it's not always like one of the things i i'll say this much one of the things i love about nintendo and this is not always but like nintendo's generally pretty dang good about getting code with a lot like the, a lot of time to play yes right? like they are and that's not always right like every, there's always exceptions to everything but like i like nintendo is is usually thinking about that stuff it seems like yeah. at least from our perspective i don't know for sure obviously but yeah yeah as opposed to day and day codes where you're just like well it's a yeah. race now yeah, yeah. Um, i would be nice if nintendo gave out more codes more codes oh, yeah. nintendo just do it. give everybody some codes as a treat um <laughs> I would say reviewing games is my favorite part of working here. Absolutely, bar none. Like, I love reviewing games, and I haven't reviewed anything in forever. And it's driving me crazy. It's just because I haven't had the time, and there just really hasn't been anything. So, uh, you know, in a quiet year. I'm here with two reviewers, but uh, my experience of reviewing games is that it can actually sour me on a game a little bit, because I was also reviewing Final Fantasy VII Remake. And those dungeons are so long. That because I wasn't pacing myself, I really felt the pacing issues in that game to the point where I'm like, I just yeah. don't enjoy it as much. I feel like I'm really too focused on this particular aspect of a game where I feel yeah. like if I had been taking it more at my own pace, that that wouldn't have affected me as much. I have something I have something similar that happens with me is where I will play a game and I will love it for review and I will love every second of it. And as soon as like my review hits the front page, I'm like, well, I'm never playing that game again because I just don't <laughs> want to. And uh, yeah, you need a little bit. I, I often need a little bit of a break like that. And Kat, the thing you mentioned is is definitely an unfortunate reality it's just like for me it's one of those biases that you just kind of gotta like always have in the back of your head of like 
how would how would somebody actually be playing this game right like it, it, it's just something i think about also with like roguelikes like i haven't reviewed i think i don't know if i've reviewed a roguelike but roguelike reviews are interesting because when you get a game you know a week and a half before it comes out and you have a week and a half to beat this roguelike like most people are going to be playing this roguelike over months right and and that's sort of a different vibe um to it so it's 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 not one of, it's not something i think i'm very adamantly think that i don't it doesn't like discredit a review in that it's just something that a reviewer needs to be aware of i think yeah. Yeah, i mean reviewing reviewing elden ring uh Oof. i definitely Still had moments you <laughs> definitely have have had moments where uh you know i it's like late at night and i'm fighting the same boss for like an hour and i die again and i'm like i hate this game <laughs> like <laughs> you know, put the controller down but oh, i can't yeah. you know i'm on i'm on a time uh, a, a deadline so like i want to keep going through it normally if i was at that moment i would take a break and you know come back to it you know with with fresh eyes um but when you're when you're kind of on that review kick, uh, you know you kind of want to push yourself through it, and that is one of the things that I had to be like, okay, I may I may have said that I hate this game right now, but you know <laughs> if I was if I was playing this game normally, I would put the controller down, I would do something else, I would come back, I would beat the boss, and it would be and I would get that amazing rush of like you know adrenaline, like yes, I finally did it, and I would be happy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it is just kind of a matter of of like like Tom said, keeping that bias in the back of your your mind and understanding that things would be different if circumstances were different. Yeah. <laughs> One thing in uh this comes I think for me with experience is when I was first doing reviews, I was so terrified that I was going to be wrong. Um <laughs> that my opinion was going to be the wrong opinion and I would be eviscerated. And now that I've done enough reviews, I have enough confidence. I'm like, well, and I know that a review ultimately is just like the opinion of the reviewer. And Tom and Dan work very hard to make sure that the person reviewing the game matches that sort of game. Like uh I did Flight Simulator because I was I did the preview and I loved it. And it turns out I'm a huge simulator nerd now and I love all those stupid sim games. But yeah, I don't know if that is any of your experiences, but when I first started, I was like, oh my God what if this review is wrong and everyone hates me online and now i don't oh, care. no, i'm a giant contrarian okay <laughs> <laughs> if i'm like super high in a game but other people like it or don't like it i'll be like no i'm gonna defend this game to the death <laughs> nice. i tried i tried to take their critiques seriously though and like look at it with open eyes but um i think that it's actually really important and i think everybody would agree that we have kind of a range of opinions and i yeah. think that yeah. the the Metacritic scoreboard watching is quite toxic on a lot of yeah, it doesn't help publications. Anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if a review is somebody's interpretation or opinions of on a game, there's like the only way it can be incorrect is if it is has like factual right. errors in it, right? Like there, mm -hmm. how someone enjoyed something can't be wrong. <laughs> it right. is just how they felt about it. Yeah. So it, it was absurd to watch the cyberpunk discourse in real time where. You had the people who were very high on it at first, but then a couple of people who were not high on it and they were getting attacked. But then everybody picked up Cyberpunk and started playing it. And then the discourse flipped. And now the people who liked it were getting attacked. And you're just like, yeah. ah, it's very exciting. Yeah, you still can't sometimes. even be like, ah, I played Cyberpunk without 
hundred people telling you how some of these games you, you just know when you're playing it you start getting a sinking feeling of like uh oh oh yeah oh yeah is this is gonna be a game <laughs> yeah i will say i had the exact opposite when i was reviewing flight simulator i had this like a magic feeling i'm like oh this is a 10 i'm going to give this a 10 this is a masterpiece of a game that was that was pretty cool to be able to play that before anybody else which is the whole reason i got into this industry feeling to be like this game's amazing i love yeah. this game this is so yeah. good and you just pray that it sticks to landing so that you can really phrase it a lot yeah yeah and god bless microsoft flight simulator still getting better but <laughs> enough about those questions chris baker this is why i had to stop mitchell chris baker asks can everyone share a hobby or activity that they are most passionate about outside of video games in the industry as a whole and i mean you already know that i love old vintage computers and electronics and i like messing around with those and playing with them which reminds me oh no i, I was gonna be my uh, what we've been playing, but I got a, a Wi-Fi serial modem adapter for my 1984 K Pro 2. So I'm going to be able to telnet into my Linux computer and surf the internet through links on a computer that was built before the worldwide web standard was even being considered, which is, that's why I don't, that's why I'm in my basement all the time. <laughs> Other than that, I really love, I really love bass fishing. So Mitchell, what about you? You said you, you like watching anime, but what else? Yeah, big anime fan. Um, I recently got into disc golf, which has been, uh, you know, during the pandemic, it, it was just kind of like one of those really good activities that was, you know, outside, outside away from people. To, yeah, you <laughs> don't have to deal with anyone. It's something that you can do your, by yourself. It's cheap to get into. Literally, you just buy like a $20, $20 thing of, of three discs and uh, go to a park and you're good. So, uh, so that's been something that's been really good for me and, uh, yeah, uh, you know, TV shows, uh, you know, that, that's always been a good thing. Things that I can do with, with my wife that we both enjoy, um, yeah. are always, are always, uh, positive. Nice. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of it. Video games is definitely the big one. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think that goes without saying, but Kat, what about you? In the before times, I really enjoy traveling. I've been to about 20 countries at this point. Um, oh, wow, wow. I would like to go to more countries again, but we'll see if that ever happens. Um, I've been doing more active activities lately, like biking. I'm, I'm doing Give Hockey a Try Day uh, next Whoa. month. Yeah, so I'm going to see if I can uh, still skate. It's been, it's been a long time since I've actually... Oh, it's just like riding skates. a bike. I know, legs. seriously. Um, and I miss ice skating. So yeah, skating. I... <laughs> I, I really, I miss traveling. I want to do it again. And I'm also a big sports fan. And I think I've kind of alluded to that. I especially love soccer, hockey, baseball, and football, and all of them all quite avidly. In fact, I'm missing the women's Euros as we speak uh, while this episode is being recorded. I don't know what that is. So uh, there's a tournament happening in Europe right now between um, England and Germany and France, various European countries, but it's uh, the women's teams. And so, it's oh, that's why Pear yeah. isn't here today. Ah, okay. He said he had a meeting. <laughs> Let's I go Holland. <laughs> Tom, what about you? What are your hobbies outside of gaming? What are you passionate about? Uh, well, my hobbies outside of video games is a cop out because it's Magic the Gathering, which technically oh, isn't a video come on game. Now. That's just um, a video game analog version. I mean, so well, more gaming. Well, the gaming section. <laughs> Magic the Gathering came out in '93, so it's been around just as long, right? Like, or sure. not, you know what I mean? 
Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I play a lot of that, and I do a lot of that stuff. That and counts, then, by the way. I was just uh, Honestly, I'm pretty boring. Like, I, I enjoy biking, and I do the occasional little bit of gardening here and there, or the occasional little bit of cooking here and there that I enjoy, but, like, I just try to find little things, TV, but honestly, beyond beyond playing games and, and doing magic stuff, I don't have a lot of other hobbies. And you mean Magic the Gathering, not summoning spells yes. and arcane? Well, that too. Both. <laughs> okay. No. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think probably, if anything, I like... I, I, Love a good bike ride. Yeah. You all have me thinking I want to get a, a, a bicycle. They're so expensive, though, if you get a good one. I've been into work lately on my bike. It's been great. You don't I, need a good bike to go biking. I know, I know, but I tend to uh, front load uh, a lot of money into my hobbies that I eventually <laughs> uh, abandon. So um, look at uh, my oscilloscope back there. That'll surely give me years of, of pleasure. Yeah, um, I'm thinking about getting back into streaming. And I'm like, well, how much gear do I need to buy? Uh oh, it's gonna get expensive fast. You just reminded me uh, one of the things that I love, and I still I don't do it nearly as much is photography. And I have mm. a few thousand dollars worth of lenses, like that I don't take the care that they deserve of because I am the worst person. But yeah, photography. So Mitchell, Mitchell it. actually inspired me to pick up Japanese again. And I'm on Duolingo because oh. he was saying yeah. that he was on this giant streak, and I'm like. I bet I could do that. So uh, nice. they really yeah. gamify learning how to learning how to speak. Yes, Japanese. it's fun. Duolingo is great. I fell off my German and now uh, I'm going to pick it up again. I was just like, oh, I'm never going to Germany. Why am I bothering? Ah. I think it did Gamescom. Ah. We can do an NBC. Yeah. Oh, my God. That would be so wonderful. I, I don't know the German alphabet, though, so I can't say what, what it would actually be. And we NBC in see. Deutschland. Let's go. In Deutschland, wie geht es Ihnen, mein super Freundins? Zupa pair would be very mad. He got he got so mad because I said my T is Sue Heiss. And he's like, Sue, Sue, what does that mean? No, you're wrong. It's Zoo. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, next question is from Gregory Moorhead. The new Lego Bowser looks amazing. What Nintendo Lego set would you most like to see happen? And this is a no-brainer for me. So I'm not, I'm, I'm going to like, just see what everyone else has to say first. If anyone have anything that springs immediately to mind? I no. Yes. Zelda? Oh, that's where I was going with it. The <laughs> I'm not Castle? a big Lego Lego person, but uh, you know, I think you know. Have you seen that Bowser? So cool. cool. Yeah. I haven't seen it actually. Oh my god, it's ridiculous! It's like two hundred and thirty dollars or something, and it's it's fantastic, but. Yeah, Lego Mario, or excuse me, the Lego Nintendo sets are just fantastic. And they're wonderful. And it makes so much sense. But yeah, I want to see Hyrule Castle. How about a and, Lego set of Samus's scout ship? Ooh, that is cool. That would be amazing. Yes. And you could put a little Lego Samus. And I think Samus would fit well as a Lego because you could put um, the helmet on and everything. And you and could little, put her inside uh, the actual, you could open up the cockpit and put her inside there. Yes. And a little uh, one peg uh, Metroid that follows her around oh yeah. yeah no there you go yeah you put it on top of the ship god i love that so much tom do you have any suggestions I, or dreams i had okay i don't i hadn't seen this question before and for some reason the very first thing that popped into my head and i now actually just genuinely want is a lego set of yoster isle from super mario rpg legend of seven stars <laughs> which is the little like yoshi race 
racing course level that you can find. Oh, I don't know why amazing. I want that, but how great would it be to have a little Yoshi race course with little different colored little Yoshis? Boshi, little, little, uh... Yeah, a little Boshi, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that would be great. <laughs> I love it. I think the island from Wind Waker in the style of the Wind Waker Ooh. Switch version. That would also would be, be wonderful. Would yeah. fit perfectly for Lego. Which yeah. island? Just the outset? With the, the wind fish egg and everything. So oh. Like, just get a whole set. Whole set. It's just a whole island. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Nintendo make more Lego sets or Lego make more Nintendo sets. I don't know. I don't know who we need to send our letters to. All right. One, one last question before we move on, because I actually lingered too long on question block. And now we have to go through the get next all segment. the question block this time. We get them all. Adrian House <laughs> wants to know, what is your earliest video game memory? I was like four years old and I saw someone playing uh, Atari 2600 Pac-Man on a black and white TV. So that should tell you how old I am. And that is to say I am very old. And I don't know why I remember that specifically, but I do. And I remember that was it. It was on. I needed to do this all the time. Put it into my life. So uh, what are your earliest video gaming memories? It's it's nothing specific, but I definitely remember playing a lot of Mega Man 3 when I was a little kid. And it's funny because I actually, on Twitter, I, I you know, I've been going through a bunch of VHS tapes um, and digitizing them. And I found the the Hanukkah where I got Mega Man 3 and I, I, got, I digitized it. I put it on Twitter. It's literally just me opening a present and like holding up. Look what I got. I got Mega Man 3. Aww. It's super cute. Oh, man. And then his gaming journey began. Yeah. Exactly. What a great... That that was actually the first game that I ever bought with my own money. So that's really cool. Kat, what's your earliest gaming memory? This is definitely going to date me. But so my dad actually liked video games and he had an Atari 5200. And there's a picture of me as a tiny baby looking up at the TV and being very excited about it. but the earliest memory that I have is of trying to play Star Raiders, which is this game, a uh, quite famous game for the Atari in which you're flying around in a spaceship and you know blowing up star bases and whatnot and uh, fighting enemies. And it's kind of first person. It's actually quite impressive for an Atari game. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I <laughs> did really enjoy flying around in that spaceship. So every time I finished killing the enemies, I would go to my dad and be like, what do I do next? And then he would <laughs> send me to the next sector with the, with more spaceships to shoot at, I'm like, all right, perfect. So that's awesome. That's my my formative video game memory is playing was it Star a, Raiders. A joystick or was it a paddle controller? Well, it was an Atari 5200. So you had this horrible remote control thing with this yeah. very squishy uh, joystick <gasps> oh, that you yeah. would slide into a kind of a dock thing, and it was this very simple and early version of a dual analog stick setup. They could play certain games with. Um, yeah. Those joysticks were absolutely horrible, and the Atari yeah. 5200 failed miserably. Yes, it did. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the Atari 5200, you can tell that it was a bad system because literally no one has nostalgia for the Atari 5200. Wrong. Um, I do because we what? had one. Okay, that that's different. All right, for every no one but Cat because of this one very special case because it's a meaningful childhood memory. But other than that. Nobody like giant contrarian. (laughs) (laughs) Totally on brand. Tom, what's your earliest gaming memory? Uh, I think I've talked about this on the show before. Uh, It was watching my mom play Myst when I was like two or three years old. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I I just. From the makers of Cosmic Osmo. 
Yeah, she she liked Mist, and she liked. Uh, once we got it later, she was into Link to the Past. I just remember. Oh, that's awesome. She was the one who put me on that track, even though she doesn't like video games now at all. She just like was into that sort of stuff. She was a beta tester for Uru, which was the Mist online MMO that they made. What? Yeah. <laughs> she was super into Mist. That got me into incredible. this. Incredible. So there you go. <gasps> oh wow! I had no idea there was a Mist MMO. Yeah, it was wild. a wild idea, very strange idea, but yeah, because it's a point and click like puzzle game, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you had an avatar, and there were like little instance worlds where you could go out to with other people and solve puzzles. And this was early, kinda so like cool, actually, people, you know, there was puzzle like, solving, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there wasn't just like a strategy guide the day the game came out that solved everything for everyone. So it was like this it was a lot of it lived in forums of people trying to piece together these puzzles together wow that is fascinating actually i need to look up this so wait, this is there a modern game that's like this that's like a massively online puzzle game because if there hasn't why aren't we doing this this is, sounds like a, a brilliant idea it's going to do so well yeah i think i think a fan community brought back uru in some fashion but i don't know otherwise <laughs> Be right back. I'm going to go get a pitch doc started so I can go be rich. Okay. <laughs> okay, cast back. No, that wasn't that wasn't a real break. Only Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was question block. Thank you everyone for submitting your questions. Um we're going to be front loading question block from now on and if you've counting how many times I said front loading, that's 8 now. Uh now we're going to talk real quick about what we've been playing. I about, I got Pocky and Rocky Reshrined finally, the uh, the physical version. I haven't opened it yet, and I don't know if I'm going to because I know it's a rare game, and I don't know if I want to want to break the seal. But Pear is going to be mad at me, so I'll play it this week when I have time off. So, Cat, you have exciting updates to your Nuzlocke run. Oh yeah, I uh, so over the weekend I did a revenge run to try and get to Morty, and I did it about four hours, and I was I, I got started out with Totodile. I was very stressed out heading into Whitney because Whitney is famously kind of a, a big block in Pokemon Crystal with her mill tank. And so I was just sweating and sweating. It was like, how am I going to get past this? All I have is a Pidgeotto and a, a, a Totodile. Thankfully, I was able to use accuracy hacks and be able to just lower its accuracy to basically 0%, which allowed me to take it out easily. And then I just, my Feraligator just ate all of Morty's Gengars, so it ended up working out really well. But it was a it was a really fun experience. I'm really glad I I got to do it. So my Nuzlocke run, which if you're not familiar with the concept of a Nuzlocke run, it's you have permadeath in your Pokemon, is what it basically boils down to. And there are a handful of other rules, but it's a challenge run. And um, I've never done a proper Nuzlocke run, but uh, my my last one ended quite uh, embarrassingly because I, I died to Morty. I didn't mm. have enough awakenings, but now I'm back on track. I think I can get it. I can beat Ash. So Ooh. that's uh, that's my big Nuzlocke run update. Excellent. That should be a, a new segment right now. Tom, what have you been playing? Uh, so I've been playing a thing for review I can't talk about yet, uh, mostly. Uh, then, obviously, I came off of the Sunbreak review, which I uh, enjoyed quite a bit. <laughs> which was, we, I asked you on so you could talk about Sunbreak, and then I completely flubbed the time so i apologize for that well if it if it helps like i'm kind of waiting on updates for that because part of the funny thing about reviewing a monster hunter game is that you've done all of the content when it comes out oh yeah so there's just like i'm i'm waiting for the net the first title so update to kind of go back you, to it 
how much uh how many hours did it take you to get through sunbreak the just beating the story like rolling credits took me like 20 hours okay um and then i think i played by time of review the review published i think i played about 50. yeah i've been playing uh with my group we just got started i'm up to the blood orange bishop 10 and i have not i i had super end game gear um at mm-hmm. high rank so i haven't really felt the need to upgrade my gear yet i know right. it's going to be coming sooner or later but it's been very front loaded with monsters that you have already fought and it makes me think yeah. of a simpsons quote it's just like no you're going to fight the monsters in different colors again <laughs> again and again and again and so, again <laughs> yeah that's monster definitely... hunter rise but i i I mean, it's so much fun to play with your friends. So I'm just like, whatever, it's fine. Yeah, it's it's definitely front loaded with kind of a lot of the non new stuff. Um, they make you wait a bit, but mm-hmm. also that didn't feel like a huge like point to me overall because like, you know, if they make you wait 15 hours to get to like a lot of the new stuff, then you play a hundred after that, right? Like <laughs> the vast majority of the time you have access to everything in a game like that. So like overall, I think it smooths out, right? I haven't been using the new mechanics too much. Like there's the new switch skills. Admittedly, I'm yeah. using the switch axe, but I'm like, well, I, I already have my, I know what silkbind skills I already like. I like the one where right. I'm shooting into the air and then diving. That's part of my overall combo set anyway. So I haven't felt a lot of impetus to change. I don't know if that's the case with other weapons where you maybe feel a little more impetus to do that. I had, so I'm, I'm an insect glaive main and I had one switch skill that I liked in specific situations. So I was really nice to be able to swap to that in those exact situations. It was basically like a, a good skill to wake up monsters, which the insect glaive never really had before. Um, but yeah, besides that, I haven't, I didn't go like crazy with it or, or anything. It's, it's a cool thing though. Cause it basically just expands your move set and more choice like that is never a bad thing for people who really want to engage with it. It's wild to go back to this game after playing Elden Ring, because it feels like the monsters are moving in slow motion now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. I bet. Well, uh, Mitchell, you said you've been playing Bayonetta too. Uh, what else you've been up to real quick? Yeah, I feel like we are we already talked about all the games I'm currently playing. I'm also <laughs> playing the game that Tom can't talk about for for because he's reviewing it. Um, Is that what you are you too like you use your fusion powers when you review games? They're yeah, Voltroning up. Exactly. <laughs> you, know, you know how uh, Twitter just rolled out like co tweets or whatever. We're doing co reviews now. Oh wow! <laughs> that won't confuse anybody or be problematic in any way. Yeah, Our no. video review just will call just them be boyfriend reviews one word at a time. It's- <laughs> That's perfect because for Xenoblade Three, the, you can Ouroboros for the review, where you yeah. both turn into like um, a giant. I've also, mech. I've all, I've also been playing um, I of the Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative, the sequel to uh, the first I of the Somnium Files, which is really good. I just beat it uh, a couple days ago, and not quite as good as the first game, but still a very good detective mystery novel that's just off the rails, insane. Wait, is that? <laughs> Is that title I, not AI? I, yes, I. I really? Yeah. It's like it's like a pun that works on like a number of different levels. Okay. <laughs> I, I just had no idea. I just always assumed it was AI. No, it, it's it's I the Somnium Files. Yeah, cool. the you know it's the one of the main characters is an AI. Her name is Iba. She's an eyeball. It's just like I said, it's it's a pun that works on a number of levels. Cool. It just keeps on going. At least Love two. 
Yeah. <laughs> I like that a lot. Now I might have to check this out. This is on it's Switch. Everyone cool. should really check yeah. it out. If you if you haven't even heard of I the Somnium Files, definitely check it out. Um what is it? Is it like a like a visual novel or is it It's a visual novel. It's a it's a murder mystery where basically the the whole thing is that you dive into the the psyche of different different people who are close to the case to find out what they're hiding and like so you you kind of dive into like a dreamland where nothing really follows the normal rules that you can like make your avatar do like weird things like you know (laughs) inspect that uh you know umbrella and then it's like okay what do you want me to do with it put it on your head it's like okay why am i doing this again So it's just you can do a bunch of really weird things that ultimately ultimately lead you to like going further into the dream. I'm gonna have to check this out. This looks just from the the graphics alone. I'm like, oh, this is yeah, absolutely my aesthetic. It it's really I'm good. Gonna have to check it out. All right, cool. Well, that is what we've been playing. Remember, you can always head to igm.com/playlist, create your own personal playlist and more. You can do like I did, where I put every game that I ever reviewed for IGN into a playlist uh, to, to to serve my the needs of my own ego. But that is all the time we have this week on Nintendo Voice Chat. We have a special guest host next week because I'm going on vacation and I will see you and all. I'm going to be at San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, who could I'm it be? I'm also going to be at San Diego Comic-Con. And I'm I am be... not. <laughs> I'm going to be in Bellevue for a Magic the Gathering convention. Oh, Woo! nice. Oh, man, that sounds fun as hell. Well, I'm just not going to be here um, on the show. But you can follow us on Twitter at NVC Podcast. You can submit your question block questions to the NVC Facebook group. And we're going to be better about answering them. I want to thank Red on the ones and the twos. Uh, I want to thank Mitchell and Tom for being our guests this week. Most of all, I want to thank you, the audience, for listening. Remember, NVC is the only place where you can get the thing. Get the thing. Get that. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.